Charles Wesley was the younger brother of John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement. Charles would also become a great leader in the movement. He was an evangelist, and he evangelized primarily through his hymn writing. Now, his brother John was considered the organizational leader of the movement, but historians agree that without the hymns of Charles, the movement may not have gone anywhere. As one historian puts it, the early Methodists were taught and led as much through Charles's hymns as they were through John's sermons. During his lifetime, he wrote over 6,000 hymns. He produced 56 volumes over 53 years of writing. He wrote so many well-known lyrics like, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? Well, after reading and meditating upon the words of the prophet Haggai in the Old Testament, Charles wrote the two stanzas of the Christmas hymn titled, Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus. We sang it earlier. We just listened to those beautiful words again in the video that we just watched. And if you're familiar with the lyrics, then you know that it was written as if Wesley were answering the question, why was Jesus born? If someone asked you that question, it's a good question, how would you answer it? Why was Jesus born? In the hymn, Wesley gives four answers to the question. He begins four different lines with the word born, and each time born is sung, he gives a different reason. Reason number one. Born to set thy people free. Reason number two, born thy people to deliver. Reason number three, born a child and yet a king. And then reason number four, born to reign in us forever. So during the season of Advent, when we gather to anticipate the birth of Jesus Christ, this hymn helps us to do that. It instructs us about some of the primary reasons that Jesus was born. And I think of those four reasons that Wesley gives to us, we often think about and talk about the first three, that he's born to set us free, that he is born to deliver us, that he was born a child and a king. We're familiar with those reasons. In fact, if I were to ask you the question, why was Jesus born, it's my guess that your answer would be some variation of one of those three reasons. However, it's the fourth reason that perhaps we're not as familiar with. Maybe we don't talk about it as much as we should or think about it as often as we could. And so I want us to focus on that fourth reason this morning. Why was Jesus born? He was born to reign in us forever. The most often quoted verse in the Bible when talking about the inspiration and the purpose of Scripture is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. There Paul writes that all Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So that verse helps us to see both 
uh, the inspiration and the instructive nature of Scripture. Well, I want to share another verse with you concerning the purposes of Scripture. It's not as often quoted, and perhaps you're not as familiar with it. If you haven't already, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. It's found tucked away at the end of Romans. It's Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. There Paul writes, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You hear what Paul's saying there? Everything that was written in the past, now he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures, was written to teach us about the endurance of God's people. Literally there, the word means to patiently wait. And so all of our Old Testament scriptures have been written down to share with us how the people of God have waited patiently on him and how God has acted on behalf of his people and how he's been faithful to his promises. And all of that has been written down in order to, Paul tells us, to encourage us to also have hope. Isn't that good? I mean, that's a powerful way to read the Old Testament, through that lens. That means if reading the Old Testament does not encourage you to hope in God, then you're reading it incorrectly. Paul shares that it has been all been written down in order to share the endurance with us, these accounts of endurance with us in order to encourage us to also have hope in God. What a great lens to to read and study the Old Testament through. Last week, we looked at the story of Abraham and Sarah, and it's a wonderful example. It's exhibit A of what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. It was written from the past to teach us in the present about how Abraham and Sarah endured, how they waited patiently on God to act on their behalf, and how God was faithful to his promises. And this account of Abraham and Sarah gives us encouragement so that we too, like them, might have hope. So a quick review from last week, because we learned a couple of things from our look at Abraham and Sarah First, we learn that there's always an abundance of hope with God. Second, we learn that God, um, well, here's what I want to say about that first. Let me talk about this first. Uh, we, we know that there's an abundance of hope with God because of what Paul says about God, that God is one who gives life to the dead and creates new things out of nothing. Right? So that's, that's who God is. That's who, that's who Paul describes God as for us. And so we know that we have an abundance of hope with God. He's the God who gives life to the dead and creates new things out of nothing. 
The second thing is we see this most clearly when there's an absence of hope with us. So we know that there's always an abundance of hope with God. We see this most clearly when there's an absence of hope with us. So Sarah had nothing but a barren womb. Mary had nothing but a virgin womb. Jesus had nothing but a burial tomb. And we had nothing but our sinful doom. You see, when there is an absence of hope with us, when there is absolutely nothing for us to put our hope in, right, because it's just so easy for us to put our hope in other things. We put our hope in people. We put our hope in our bank accounts. We put our hope in our jobs. I mean, fill in the blank. But when there's an absence of that, when there's an absence of things for us to put our hope in, that's when we most clearly see the abundance of hope that we have with God. And then third, not only is there an abundance of hope, but in Christ there's an assurance of hope. Hope's not just wishful thinking. There's a confident expectation. We can patiently endure because we have confidence, because we are fully persuaded, because we have courage that God has the power to do what he's promised. That's hope. So the lens of Romans 15.4 is the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures yields hope in us. Isn't that good? We, we saw that with Abraham and Sarah last week. Their endurance and the encouragement of scripture yields hope in us. So, man, that's just another reason to read your Bibles, right? I mean, when, you, when, you, when you're struggling you don't, and you don't feel like you have hope and you feel hopeless in your situation, the Old Testament scriptures have been saved for us. They've been passed down through the generations so that we can spend time in them and we can learn from the endurance of the Old Testament and, and be encouraged by, by how God has shown up in their lives and has been faithful to his promises. And this gives us courage to have hope in our situations and in our circumstances. Well, today we're going to look at another example from the past so that through the endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11. Um, I brought a picture that I wanted to put up on the wall and just kind of have that up there because I love the imagery of Isaiah chapter 11. So we go ahead and put that up there and just leave it. The image that's given to us here in Isaiah chapter 11 is, is one of the great images of hope from all the, New, the Old Testament. There's, there's lots of wonderful images of hope from the Old Testament, to encourage us, to use Paul's words. But it's this one that may top them all. It's the stump of Jesse. And I want to just share with you here out of uh, Isaiah. I want to read to you here in just a moment from Isaiah 11, if you want to kind of keep your fingers there, Romans 15, and turn over to Isaiah chapter 11. But, you know, what we, what we learn um, from reading through the Old Testament account, one of the things that we learn is not to put our hope in any kingdom of man. History teaches us that. We should never put our hope 
and any kingdom that's been created by man. Because all throughout history, these massive, powerful kingdoms of man are cut down like lofty trees. They're brought low, never to grow again. This happens to the kingdom of Israel. This happens to the kingdom of Assyria. This happens to the kingdom of Judah as well. Eventually, Babylon comes and brings an end to the kingdom of Judah. And then it happens to the kingdom of Babylon. And so as one surveys the landscape, for as far as you can see, there's nothing but bare stumps. When you study history and look at all the great empires and all the great kingdoms, there's nothing but bare stumps. Kingdoms that have been felled, that have been cut down and brought low. But wait. Chapter 11 of Isaiah. If you look really close, there's a small, unassuming, tender shoot coming up from a dead stump. And this shoot grows forth from the stump of a failed ancient dynasty. And of all the ancient kingdoms of the world, it's only the kingdom of Judah that is cut down to have new life emerge from the stump. And this shouldn't surprise us because we know from Romans 4.17 that we've, we've learned that the God of Judah is one who gives life to the dead and creates new things out of nothing. You see, this image of something new coming from something dead should encourage us to put our hope in God. Listen to what Isaiah prophesies about the stump of Jesse. This is from Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them all. The cow will feel, feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Your infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. Wow. You see, there's a new kingdom. Isaiah is just talking about it there. There's this new kingdom that's going to emerge from the stump of Jesse. 
And it's not going to be like the former kingdom of Judah. This new kingdom coming up from this stump will have a king, and he'll, he'll not be like all the other kings of the line of David, but rather this king will be a new David. And this new David will not reign on a throne in Jerusalem. He, instead, he will reign on the throne of your heart. That's what this new kingdom's all about. You see, this new David has, has so much more than just a royal lineage. He has the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and power and knowledge and fear. And so this new kingdom is, is one that will be empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. And he will rule and reign in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it won't be a, just a new kingdom for Judah. But it's going to be a new kingdom for all people, for every nation. And if you hear the words of this prophecy, then, then you begin to understand what Charles Wesley is referring to. This kingdom that he's referring to when he wrote that Jesus was born to reign in us forever. Earlier, um, we, we read Romans 15, uh, 12, and 13. And I, I want to conclude um, with these two verses today. I want us to c- conclude by looking at these two verses. Um, it's how uh, we, we have not done a study through the, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, but these, this, it's how Paul concludes the body, the main body of his letter here with this last verse um, and then with this prayer in verse 13. But I want us to conclude our time by looking at this today because there in verse 12, Paul quotes Isaiah 11. Paul quotes the... The, the text that we just read together. And here's how Paul quotes that text. He says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and the nations will hope in him. And from this verse that Paul quotes for us here, from Isaiah 11, I want to share with you three important truths about Jesus about the one who's been born to reign in us forever. These are just three foundational, important truths about this one who's born to reign in us forever. First, Jesus is both the shoot and the root of Jesse. We're going to talk about that. That's important. Not only is he the shoot of Jesse, but he's also the root of Jesse. Second, Jesus arose to rule over the nations. And then third, Jesus rules to bring us hope. Jesus rules to bring us hope. So first, Jesus is the shoot and the root of Jesse. You see, Jesus is the shoot of Jesse. Meaning, he is the one who springs up from the stump in order to reign in our hearts as king. 
But he's so much more than just the shoot of Jesse. In fact, as we look closer at the stump, we discover that he's also the root of Jesse, which means he's something more. It means he came before Jesse. It means that Jesse actually came from him. Jesus would tell the teachers of the law that he was around before Abraham was even born. Of course, that blew their minds, but if they would have understood the meaning of the root of Jesse, they would have gotten it. You see, to say that Jesus is both the shoot and the root is saying that Jesus is man and God. He's fully man, he's the shoot of Jesse, and he's fully God, he's in fact also the root of Jesse. And so this Jesus who's born to reign in us forever is both the shoot and the root. He's fully man and he's fully God. In other words, he's the Christ. He's unlike any other man. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's the one we've all been waiting for to come. Second, so first is that he's a shoot and the root of Jesse. Second, Jesus arose to rule over the nations. This is really great. In quoting Isaiah 11 with this little phrase there in verse 12, This phrase, one who will arise to rule over the nations, Paul could have used the word arise in the sense of emerge from, right? That it emerges from, meaning one who will emerge from the stump of Jesse to rule over the nations. However, that's not the the word he chose. Instead, Paul purposefully uses the word that he and other early Christians used to refer to the resurrection meaning one who will resurrect to rule over all the nations. And this imagery is so important. And it's so fitting because the kingdom of Judah was cut down because of its disobedience, because of its rebellion to God. Nothing was going to emerge out of the devastating consequences of sin and exile of Judah. Yet Jesus arose out of the stump of Judah to rule over the nations. And because he rose from the dead to live forever, He can now rule in our hearts forever. And then third, Jesus rules to bring hope. Listen to what N.T. Wright says. This is is really helpful. He says, Jesus will not simply rule with a rod of iron bringing God's judgment on the nations. Instead, he will rule in such a way as to bring hope to the whole world. 
which just happens to be something as sorely lacking then as it is today. I love that. So this rule in this reign of Jesus will be done in such a way that it inspires and encourages hope within us. You know, similar to the point I made earlier about reading the Old Testament Scriptures, if, we're reading script, if, if reading the Old Testament does not encourage us to put our hope in God, then we're reading it wrong. I believe that. In the same way, if your understanding of the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ in your heart does not produce an overflow of confident hope in you, then you're understanding his rule and reign incorrectly. Jesus rules and he reigns in our hearts in such a way as to bring hope. All the nations will hope in him. So Jesus is born to reign in our hearts forever. He's the shoot and the root of Jesse. He arose to rule over the nations, and he rules to bring hope. Well, Paul concludes with this prayer, and uh, if you're not familiar with this one, this is one of those you want to highlight. Go ahead and earmark your Bible up. Uh, You want to come back to this one. This would be a good one to memorize. Verse 13, Paul says a prayer. And here's what he prays. It's one that I want to encourage us to pray for one another. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. My Bible, out in the margins, I've titled this a Christmas prayer. Because the only way this prayer can be answered is if Jesus was born to reign in our hearts forever. That's the only way this prayer is getting answered. And what I love about this prayer when you look at it is that it reveals to us just how the rule of Christ in our hearts brings us hope. Look at this. As we trust, Paul Paul writes, as we trust in him to rule and reign in our hearts forever, as we trust in him in this way, he will fill our hearts completely with joy and peace through the power of the Holy Spirit, and this gives us more hope than we need. Do you, you hear that? Uh, let's go over it again because it's so good. As we trust in his rule and reign over our hearts, He fills our hearts completely 
with joy and peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this gives us hope. It gives us the confidence and the courage that God has the power to do what he's promised. And here's the beautiful thing. He gives us more of it than we need. He gives us more than we ask for. He gives it to the overflow. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there's a difference between a hopeful and a hope-filled person. Have you noticed that? I've been around both kinds. Now, a hopeful person is optimistic, but the optimism is usually mixed with some doubt, maybe some skepticism, maybe even a little cynicism. But with a hope-filled person, there's confidence and there's courage and there's certainty. And they'd be quick to tell you that it's not of them, but of the Holy Spirit within them. And have you noticed that when you're around a hope-filled person, that their hope gives you hope? It, It seems like it somehow rubs off on you. Well, you know why that is? It's because God has answered this prayer in their life, and you are experiencing the overflow from their life into yours. You know when you've met a hope-filled and not just a hopeful person because their hope overflows into your life. I don't... I don't know what all is going on in each one of your lives right now, but I know in a fallen world, there's plenty of hardship and plenty of suffering and plenty of difficult, difficulty to touch all of us in some way. Let me share good news with you this Christmas. Jesus Christ was born to reign in your heart forever. That's what he was born to do. And he reigns to make you into a hope-filled person by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this good news. Thank you for this, this good news of Christmas. And as we have meditated upon Uh, and thought about Jesus Christ being born to reign in us forever this morning. I pray you take that one truth uh, and, and use it to change us. Use it to encourage us. Fill us with your joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This morning, uh, if you are here with us,
um, and you have, have never put your hope in Christ, then, man, what a better time. What a better time of year. This is, what, this is a week before Christmas. It's a great opportunity for you. That image that was on the wall of that dead stump, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that that's you without Christ. You're dead in your sins. This morning, we would love to be a part of you putting your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. We'd love for you to come and put Jesus Christ on in baptism. Be born again in Christ and allow the new life of Jesus to emerge within you. Come this morning as we stand together and sing.